What's going on, guys? Anthony here, back again with another episode of the E1B2 podcast. And today, I had a very, very special guest. Jordan George was on today's podcast, and guys, he killed it. We talked about 50 minutes in today's podcast, and there was not one minute that we weren't diving deep into certain tactics and nuances around leadership in the psychology of leadership. That's really where we went today. Um, I actually had a lot of different notes that I was gonna ask, a lot of different notes that were going to prompt me to ask uh, really detailed questions around Jordan's background, but we kind of took a left turn in a good way, and we started to dive into the psychology of leader, the psychology of culture, the psychology of of, of really how to operationalize employee experience, and, and, and Jordan really honestly was able to get very deep and tactical with me. Jordan right now as a leader, an employee experience fanatic, an improviser, and someone that is really able to bring it as it pertains to the word of leadership and employee experience. So please, I'm not going to waste your time in talking for three or four or five minutes. I'm going to keep it very brief in today's intro. I am honored. I am blessed to be able to have Jordan George join today's podcast. I know you guys are going to love it. I know you guys are going to appreciate it. And again, Really, what I want you guys to take from today is is the psychology of leadership, the psychology of employee experience, and then take some of the tactics and the nuances of how really how to operationalize employee experience into your day-to-day work, um, and and just try to figure out different ways that you can take some silver linings from today's episode and plug it in. And please, if you guys love what Jordan talks about today, he is also a keynote speaker, so I am sure he will be open to hopping on a Zoom call, talking to your people and your teams uh, as it pertains to during the COVID-19 situation. And then as we move past the COVID-19, I am quite sure he will fly out to your company, join a, a keynote or two and kill it for you guys just as much as he killed it on today's podcast. So I will stop talking now. I appreciate you, Jordan. Um, Jordan, I appreciate everyone that is listening to the E1B2 podcast. And I can guarantee today will be one of the best to come. Thanks so much. Got it. Perfect. So, uh, Jordan, please tell uh, tell me, tell everyone uh, who you are, um, you know, really where you come from, what inspired you to kind of get into this world of employee experience and um, and leadership, really. And, and and I guess I'd like to I'd like to start out by asking also, like, where do you where do you see yourself taking this? Like, I think it's very interesting to learn a little bit about each person's individual aspiration. So. If you can answer those three questions, I would very much appreciate that. Sure thing. Yeah. So uh, I knew from a really early age that I enjoyed teaching others, inspiring others, leading others. That was uh, something that I was passionate about before I knew anything about the workplace or knew anything about what it meant to actually be a leader. I just knew that I liked helping people be successful and I liked sharing what I knew with other people. Uh, it wasn't until later on in my life that I realized I could get paid to do that. So I knew um, that I wanted to go into business, that I, that I liked the concept of the business world, but I knew that I was also not very good with numbers. So I didn't want to be an accountant. I didn't want to be in finance. I didn't want to be in, in sales or something like that. Um, and thankfully, that's kind of those two paths crossing is what led me to come to the understanding of what HR is and uh, you know, what people leadership looks like and how we can create a workplace culture and environment where people can be successful and succeed. And so I kind of uh, fell into it, actually, to be honest. Um, 
but it was something that as soon as I got in, I, I knew right away that this is what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I just, I believe that we spend way too much time at work to be miserable. Uh, I believe that we spend too much time at work to not feel fulfilled in the work that we're doing and to feel like we have a purpose that's driving us forward. Um, and so it's kind of those things that motivate me to provide better employee experiences for the people that I work with. So I've been in this field now for about 15 years, um, currently overseeing uh, functions within learning development, internal communications, corporate events, and kind of that whole employee experience umbrella, everything that we would want to do for the organization to help people understand that we care about them, we want them to be successful, and um, we want to see them continue with us for a really long time. And, and that's where I've found my purpose. And that's where I want to help other people find their purpose as well. I appreciate that. Um, and, and sorry, guys, for this beeping here. I am uh, I'm at my father-in-law's house and there is a garage that keeps opening. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, uh, not going to edit it out, but it's all good. Um, let me ask you this, though. You know, something I've been having some conversations with people about recently um, you know, actually, I, I told my, you know, told my father-in-law about this for the first time yesterday and finally gave the details and dove deep into the the, the story of it. Um, with my very first business, inevitably why it ended, inevitably why it failed was due to the fact that I didn't dive into employee experience and I didn't really want to go about it at a very authentic way. Um, and yeah. I say that to say this because and tell me if you see the same thing when I'm seeing in this industry at this moment. Um, there's a lot of people that I feel are using tactics of learning and development, tactics of um, the overall employee experience umbrella to try to get the best and the most out of employees from a tactical perspective, not because mm -hmm. they feel like it's in the best interest of the human. Um, am I, do, do I have too lofty of goals to hope and expect that any people leader is doing it because they genuinely have a desire to care about people or they're doing it from a tactical perspective? Um, Am, am I am I being a little too sensitive with that, or do you have any thoughts on that, or have you seen that from afar, where brands are now starting to say, "Oh, this employee experience thing can help drive revenue, can help drive innovation, can help can help other brands come to us from like a social perspective." Are you starting to see people use it as a tactic and from like kind of a negative lens, but they're just doing it to try to get ahead, or I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I know it's a little bit of an out of the box question, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're, you're off base on that at all, Anthony. But at the same time, I don't think it's a totally negative outlook. Um, yeah, I mean, anytime that uh, a buzzword gets picked up by, you know, the mass media or social media or, you know, it starts entering the social lexicon, there's going to be people that latch onto that and just try to build their entire process around convincing people that they, that they have that thing. Right. So that they can get the buy in and the support and the uh, attract the people that they want to attract. Right. So, you know, employee experience is the big one right now. Culture. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, it was corporate social responsibility. So the idea that businesses should stand for something other than making profits. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, those things uh, all can be leveraged by leaders who are looking to use that for a tactical purpose or to drive a profit. But I do think that there is a lot of hope out there. For people who are realizing that it's not just about a way to make more money or to attract more talent, it's a way to do business better 
And if that means that, yeah, we're going to make a little bit more profit or we're going to do a little bit better as an organization, great. But it's also just the right way to run a business. And we can be successful as an organization and also make our employees successful. Those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive. We can have both of those things and we can do them both really well because those are symbiotic, you know, correlated uh, things that we're trying to drive, right? When our people are doing well, our business does well. And when our business does well, we can invest more back into our people and vice versa. So those two things are really symbiotic with each other. It doesn't have to be one or the other, and it doesn't have to be one at the expense of the other. I agree with, with everything you just said. At the very end as well, which, which, which I believe the statement was, I'm trying to remember exactly what you said. It was a, it was a matter of it's a good thing for business as well, right? And, and I often say this in my podcast, which is, um, you know, if, if you do not have, like for me, I just have this innate desire and drive to just love humans, care about humans. Um, I actually recently, uh, about six or seven months ago, I uh, was brought into to my boss's office and he said, look, Anthony, you have all the talent in the world to become the chief of staff, right? The number two person in this company, the way I see it. But one thing that I have a little bit of an issue with is I believe that you will skew a little bit more towards the employee than the business. Um, sure. And what I said to him was, look, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to lie. You know, my heart really much, very much lies with the human. But let's take that to the side. At the end of the day, what I'm also saying is if you listen to me and we dive into these these big buckets here, it'll be good from a business perspective. And so, yeah. you know, I don't need you, leader, to genuinely have a desire and a passion to love humans the way I do. Let's put that also a good mm -hmm. idea to produce more income. It's also a good idea to build a bigger business. So, yeah. Um, yeah. If, if that, to me, if that's the hook that gets a business leader uh, interested in learning more about how they can take better care of their people is to, is to put that lure out there of saying, it's also good for the business and you're going to make more money. I'll take that. I'll take that any day. If that's, what's going to get you interested in this conversation, then I'll, then I'll play that card every day. But then hopefully what you can do uh, from the inside, once you've, once you've put that out there is help them start to see that not only is it good for the business, but that it feels good, that it's good for your community, that it's good for people's personal lives and home lives when they feel like they are respected and valued and have a purpose when they come to work. Um, and, and ultimately, you can extend that support for employee experience beyond just it being good for the numbers to it's really good for the entire workplace ecosystem. Yeah. But if, but if we got to start with, it's good for the numbers to get them in, in, you know, in the seat and listening to us, then by all means, let's start there. Let's have that conversation. hundred percent. Let me ask you this. Um, this is kind of a two part question, but saying the exact same thing. Um, what are, what are a few thoughts that you're having right now around employee experience and leadership that are either a most dear to your heart or B, something that you've been really trying to tackle in the foreseeable future right now, right? Like, like a big problem that has been, like something that's been irritating you in this space that you decided to say, you know what, I'm going to be the one to change it, right? Like, for example, um, um, I've started, I started on my entrepreneurial journey again a bit here during this COVID-19 situation as <clears> I've <throat> had more time to, to really think and ponder some things. Um, and so I've started this brand called Money Anticipation, and one of the aspects mm. to it is I'm helping out the younger demo, the 17, 28 year old, try to understand mm. how to go into an interview and, and propose to that leader, look, this is what I expect 
here are things that I'm looking to get out of this experience as well. I understand that I'm looking to work for you, but here are some things that I want. Um, mm-hmm. That's something I genuinely am, uh, am, am passionate about right now. Is there anything new that that's that's kind of going around in your head that that, that you're kind of excited about or, or looking to tackle or looking to understand? From the work that I do, the thing that I see the most frequently, and, and it's not necessarily anything new or revolutionary, but we still haven't solved the problem is that there is a lack of trust on teams and a lack of trust at its root and at its core is poisoning for the organization. Um, When we don't trust each other, when we don't trust our leaders, when we don't trust the people around us to do what's in our mutual best interest, it breeds this environment where everybody's in it for themselves and so there, there's, there's this full-time competition mode of what can I do to look better than you? What can I do to maybe even make you look bad so that I do look better in return? There's uh, a fear of providing clear and direct, honest feedback that, that ultimately will help us as a group elevate our performance. There's a reluctance to Uh, be direct about the things that need to be changed within an organization. And all of that stems from a lack of trust because I don't trust that I can say these things to you directly without some sort of repercussion or without making myself look bad or making uh, myself uh, be put in a position where you may not like me anymore. And and that's going to somehow impact my chances for, for moving forward. So uh, a lot of the work that I'm engaged in right now is just helping teams to, to move into a better space of being able to trust one another, of being able to listen openly to one another and to not take offense to things that are shared uh, so that we can have honest, productive conversations that are going to move our team and our organization forward without the, the negative implications uh, that come from an environment where everybody's just in it for themselves. And for me, uh, the thing that's kind of, you know, upsetting or it keeps me up at night about that is that this is not a new concept, but we still suck at it. Uh, as, as a social workplace as a whole, we're still not at a place where people trust their leadership. We're still not at a place where people trust the organizations that they work for. We're still not at a place where the organizations trust the people that work for them. We're seeing that right now with, uh, with the increase in people working remotely and working from home and, and, and all the added micromanagement and stress that's coming with that because we just don't trust our people enough to do the work that we've, in, we've entrusted them to do. So to me, that's kind of the, the thing that I'm doing a lot of uh, research and work around right now is uh, trying to figure out why is that and what can we do about it and why haven't the things that we've tried in the past or you know, the, all the other research is out there what, that's come before it, why hasn't that worked and why are we still dealing with this? Are you are you a fan of like psychology and neuroscience? Do you dive into that at all? Oh yeah, that was that was uh, that was gonna be my original career before I, I found out that I could basically be a workplace psychologist. <laughs> so it's kind of like the OD world and a lot of what I do now. But yeah, I love psychology. I love trying to figure out what it is that makes people tick and why they do the what things that they do. So let me ask you this then: uh, I I spent I spent about two years diving pretty deep into it at a, at a surface level, like blogs, um, actually found a few mentors that were, that were, that were playing in that space that were willing to 
you know, hop on monthly calls with me. Um, talk to me about this perspective that I have. You know, I, I genuinely believe that um, there's, there's, there's perspectives that, that are driven and, and held in the subconscious and the memory banks of when they, when these managers, right. That are, that are failing to, to gain trust, um, cultivate mm-hmm. trust within their organization, you know, when they had their first internship or maybe things that were happening during their yeah. childhood or when they mm-hmm. first got their, their first opportunity to become a manager and the way that their boss treated them during situations, yep. um, because what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking in this place, this marketplace right now is like, look, there are amazing speakers and amazing thought leaders and amazing consultants like yourself speaking about these things at a high level. But, but what do we need to do as a community? What do we need to do to dive deep and really start t- driving home, you know, those tough conversations at a psychology level and, and, and unpack mm. and unpack those biases, unpack those stories, unpack those perspectives and really get these leaders to open up and say, you know what? Like, pardon my friendship, but like, you know what? Yeah, things were a little fucked up for me when I was growing up Mm. around leadership. Things were a little bit messed up for me when I was getting my first internship. And this is why I am the way that I am. And this is why I lead the way Mm -hmm. that I do. Have you thought about diving into that level and trying to, like, reverse engineer from that perspective? Yeah, so I haven't personally, but I I know um, a couple of folks that have gotten into that kind of work. And I mean, it's really fascinating stuff when when you start to tackle some of these challenges from a psychological perspective um, and and you really get to the core of who people are and why they do the things that they do. I mean, that's 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 tricky territory. And I think that's why some people just kind of stray away from it. And um, that's why you see a lot of, you know, surface level, you know, as quote unquote motivational speakers that just kind of espouse the same stuff and you hear the same thing regurgitated over and over again, cause that's easy. And you can, you can, you know, sell out, uh, speaking engagements, you can sell books with that stuff, but to get to really to the core of who we are is, is a lot of really deep hard work. And I think what it takes Anthony is leaders being willing to be authentic, to be genuine, to strip away that varnish that, we paint on ourselves when we go into the workplace professionally for the first time, when we're told we have to, you know, act a certain way and be a certain way in order to progress. And we have to kind of strip away the politics and the ego and all that other stuff. And that's very hard because like I said, we're, we're, we're having that built up on us year after year after year that we're in the workplace. We're told how to behave and how to act and how to think and, and to not bring emotion into it and leave your personal life at the door and, and all these other things. And I think that as leaders uh, and as employee experience fanatics, one of the things that we can start to do to help that is to tear down some of those uh, misconceptions about the workplace. I, I think one of the things that, that I've been really passionate about as it relates to that is this line of, you know, tearing down this belief about work-life balance, right? To me, work-life balance is saying we're trying to keep those things in, in equilibrium. And in, in reality, I don't believe that's possible, right? There are going to be times when your work takes the focus and there's going to be times when your personal life takes the focus. And you can't always control uh, when that happens, you can't always control that from eight to five, your personal life is not going to take priority. And you can't always control that, you know, from 10 p.m. to three in the morning that your work life may not take priority mm-hmm. temporarily. So I think the, the better thing to work towards is work life harmony. How can we inter uh, how can we 
uh, blend work and personal life together in a way that they are harmonious, that they support one another, that we are we have the flexibility to behave and do the things that we need to do to take care of those different areas of our life when we need to do them. Um, and do it in a way where neither one is negatively impacting the other, right? So I think that's one step that we can take. Like I said, I think the other step we can take is we can help people understand that uh, it's not about leaving your personal life at home or leaving your emotions at the door when you come to work. It's about how do we, how do we integrate those things responsibly and do it in a way where we can be authentic and be genuine when we're in the workplace. And by doing that, what we, what we allow ourselves to do is we open ourselves up to some of those deeper conversations about what are the things that I've experienced that just didn't work and how am I going to avoid making those same mistakes myself as a leader moving forward or as a team member moving forward. Uh, Anthony, I truly believe that there is, there's not a leader in the world that wakes up in the morning um, and says, I'm just going to go, you know, at least when they're starting out their career, maybe they get this way over time. I don't know. But when they're starting out their career as a leader, nobody wakes up and goes, man, I just can't wait to go into work and make everyone exactly. miserable today. Right. But still we have an excess of really shitty leaders. So why is that? I believe it's because like you said, people are pulling off of their prior experiences. They remember how they were treated. And whether that leader was a good leader or a bad leader, that's what they pull from in, in terms of constructing their own leadership paradigm. It's, it's those experiences. It's experiences with family members. It's experiences with, with friends and, and peers. And all of those things kind of help shape how we react in the workplace. And if we are not consciously surrounding ourselves with strong leaders and with people that we really should be modeling our leadership behavior around, um, then we're leaving it up to chance. And, and that's those times when those negative leadership behaviors seep in. And once it's allowed and tolerated over a period of time, that just becomes the norm. And people become blind to the fact that they're shitty leaders. I mean, I think a lot of people genuinely think or genuinely are doing the best that they know how to do. And nobody has had the conversation with them to say, this isn't working. I want to stick. And, and that's, that's what allows that to continue. Yeah, I want to, I want to stick right here. That's, that's exactly, that, that was exactly what I was going to actually lead into the conversation of um, is I think they're doing the best that they can do. And I think they're doing the best that they know how to do based off of the information mm -hmm. that they do personally have, um, you know, yeah. And, and I wanted to go back to something you said a little bit ago, which was, you know, there's a lot of leaders out here that do not have fellow leaders, peers that are willing to have those mm -hmm. tough conversations and really break down the psychology, break down what happened in their life, break down their perspectives, mm -hmm. break down all of those variables. That is a consistent that I've seen. Uh, for instance, you know, a few bosses ago, a few, a few opportunities ago without giving anybody's name or, or the business. Um, I got to that point where I had a very deep conversation over over a course of four to, to, to six, uh, you know, kind of executive coaching sessions, if you want to even look at it that way, where it started out. Uh, he was very stern, very uncomfortable, very tight. And at the very end of it, he opened up with tears, gave me a hug and said, look, like, you know, my mother never trusted me growing up. 
My first few jobs that I had, I had such great ideas. No mm. one listened to them. I was pushed down. When I started this business, I, 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 I didn't trust myself. I made a lot of mistakes. And so I micromanage every single person because I don't want them to make the same mistakes that I made. And more importantly, I've yeah. gotten this business to a point that I'm happy about. And I don't want to see any employee mm -hmm. like myself when I was a younger employee that made so many mistakes rip apart what I built yeah. um, and gave me this big hug. And it was this whole thing. And, 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 and he looked at it as, wow, like I'm leaving today in tears. Like, what, what did we accomplish? And I looked at it as now we can start the process. Now we can finally start yeah. to work off of this. You stripped away all of your ego. You stripped away all the BS. Now we can finally jump in because you've now finally told yourself the truth of why you're doing what you're doing. And you can't, you should not blame yourself anymore. Like not to get too much into like the, the whole Dr. Phil thing, but like, you know, you can't go like you didn't you didn't you didn't know anything else. You didn't know anything else. Yeah. So that is that is very interesting. Um let me ask you another out of the box question here. Um you know again on this whole money anticipation thing I have going on here, how would you or how do you how would you personally as a leader and how should other leaders react to this example I'm gonna give you? Um because this is where I think the world is going to a certain degree or at least I'm going to try to help the world get there um, at a macro level. An employee comes to you and says, Jordan, um, I have a very good understanding of how I would like to be led. I've been a part of mm -hmm. two organizations in the last five years where leaders were very micromanaging. Uh, these examples of workflows just really did not work well for me. I really enjoyed these learning and development programs I was in. Can, 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 can we try to cultivate an experience where um, that, that fits where I see the world going and, and more, more importantly, the world that I need right now in my life. You know, I'm, I'm 33 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, I have, I have a kid on the way. You know, stress is really not something I'm looking to get into. Um, I, I really need a place that's not going to micromanage me, that's going to trust my ideas, test my ideas, you know, a workflow that's going to work for my family. Um, you know, is that something you guys can accommodate me with? Um, I want to ask how, how you personally will react or how leaders should react, because I've talked to a lot of leaders recently, and this was surprising to me. A lot of, a lot of leaders laughed me off of a call. They said, you're nuts if you're trying to help younger employees craft this thing called, you know, a beyond the, a, you know, beyond your resume conversation around what they're looking to get. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they should just be lucky to have a job. Um, mm. <laughs> I love your that. Yeah, I love that response. <laughs> yeah, I love the you should be lucky to have a job or, you know, you should be glad we're paying you or whatever. Um, yeah, Anthony, man, you're spot on. I think that's it. I, as a leader, if somebody came to me with that with that conversation, here's what it allows me to do. I know where that person is coming from. I know what they're motivated by. I know what what their intention is. And I am now so much better equipped to uh, create an experience around them that will help them be successful. And then again, if you want to turn it to the selfish business side, them being more successful means we're more successful, right? So uh, to me, that's like a dream. If somebody came up to me and said that, and, and the few times in my, in my leadership career that that has happened, it's been a dream. It's like, thank you. Great. Now we've got a place that we can move forward with. Um, 
but you know, to your point, not every leader, not every organization is going to be okay with that, uh, especially ones that are uh, extremely hierarchical and that are kind of top-down leadership. And I'm going to tell you what to do, and you should just want to do it because I'm paying you. Uh, and but then here's the thing, and, and this is maybe where you lead that conversation with those individuals is that may not be the organization for you. If that's the response that you get, is is <laughs> yeah right then that tells you as an individual, that's not the right organization for you. If they're not willing to listen to you and help you be successful, uh, then why should you listen to them and help them be successful? Now, I understand that not everybody has the, the option necessarily to pick and choose their place of employment. At some point in your life, you just need a job so you can make money and you can provide for your family. And I understand that. But once you have that, then I think the next step is how do I how do I have fulfillment in the work that I do and how do I set myself up for success and long term growth and development? And I think it's by having that conversation that you're talking about with those leaders is to say, here's I, I know what I want. I know what I need. I've been around the block. Uh, I understand because I've put a lot of time and effort into thinking this over what it is that I want out of this work. And as my leader, I'm hoping that you can partner with me in getting there, right? Can we make this happen together? You know, that doesn't mean that I don't want to listen to you or that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I think everything needs to be done my way, but I know that this is the way that I am most successful. And, and, and in order for me to give my best, I know this is what I need. I think it's a really good conversation to have. Uh, and, I, and I don't think enough people have it because again, it goes back to, uh, I, I can't trust that when I have that conversation, you're not going to laugh me out of the room or I, I'm afraid of how that is going to make me look in your eyes. If I have that conversation, I think it's a really good one to have, but in short, you've got to, you've got to know your audience and, and hopefully if you're having that conversation uh, and it's the right place for you to work, then that leader is going to understand that and, and just well, Jordan, in the next that. two minutes here, let's do this. Let's do this for about two minutes here. Let's mean you partner up right now and try to explain to uh, a leader that will be listening to this podcast. Uh, if an employee comes to them with that perspective and a leader that's listening to this podcast yeah. has that more traditional old school approach, how do we break through? Mm -hmm. How do we break through to that 55 year old Karen that is looking at it? Like, look, you know, I hear you, buddy. Like I, I appreciate you, but you know, you're just lucky to have a job here or, or, or maybe she's kind of empathetic and kind of in the middle. She's like, look, I'm glad that you have a very good understanding of what you want. But here, you know, we just we don't we don't have the capacity right now to really personalize experiences. Here's here's what the role is. Sure. Here's what we're doing. Sorry, you know, take it or leave it. What do we do with people like that where we can try to get them to see the other other side of the coin? I think the first thing is is to recognize what's at risk if you don't try. And what's at risk is you're going to lose uh, good talent. You're going to lose motivated people. You're going to lose self-aware people that have put the effort into identifying what it is they need to be successful. Um, and you're going to, to some extent, create this drone culture where uh, the people that you have remaining are just the ones taking orders all the time. And unfortunately, uh, while maybe that sounds good to those leaders, um, that kind of culture stifles innovation, it stifles creativity, it stifles risk-taking, and it's going to be harder for you to grow the business um, at scale the way that you as a leader probably want to grow your business. 
So the risk there is that loss of talent. So recognizing that that's what's at risk, the next question is, um, what's, what's the risk or what's, what's to be lost if you give it a shot? Just try it. Just, just make the attempt to see things from a different perspective and to try, to dif- uh, try a different approach, right? Worst case scenario, that employee doesn't work out. You let them go. You find someone else, right? That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, you have a hyper-engaged employee who's passionate about their work, who feels supported by their leadership, who feels uh, listened to and heard and is appreciated and appreciates the fact that they have that type of leader that was willing to let them try things their way, right? Uh, And then the next piece of that is even if you can't do it all, and I I understand, right? I don't want to be Pollyanna rose-colored glasses here. I understand that Sometimes you're going to have somebody come to you and they're going to lay out this, this master plan and you're going to go, look, I, I just don't, I, I want to support you. I just don't have the capacity or right now that's not what this team needs. But the next question is, so what mm-hmm. can you do as a leader? Instead of just shutting it down, instead of just saying, you know, throw everything out, you know, terrible idea. We can't do that. If that's what you want, you just need to get out of here. What can you do as a leader? to take action on mm-hmm. a couple of those items. So Anthony, you come to me and you lay all that out. Uh, look, Anthony, right now, I, I, I don't have the ability to take you entirely off of uh, some of the retail sales work that I need you to do. But what I can do is make sure that we mix up your time in the office so that you're doing some sales work and you're also getting the opportunity to do some of that creative design work that you really enjoy doing, right? Let's try to find a blend because I still need you to do this job that I hired you for, but I also want to help you feel fulfilled and find a career path into that next level position that you're working towards. So yep. here's what I can do for you. And I think, I think if we can help leaders um, buy into that idea of first, analyze the risk. What is the risk of not taking action? Then two, what is the risk uh, or, or lack of risk, you know, potential risk, if I just give in and I just give them the opportunity to, to try this new approach? Uh, and then lastly, if I can't go all the way, what can I do for them to, to at least let them know that they're heard, help them feel listened to, and help them understand that I'm going to go as far as I can for you? Uh, which may not be 100% right now, but I'm going to go as far as I can for you to let you know that I care about you and I want you to be successful. And that may mean adjusting my own style and Jordan, and my own approach. How to sum everything you just set up, because that was, that was perfect. You know, it's, it, it's for me, just, just, just don't be lazy. Just try. I, like, you know, for me, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the employees that I've <clears throat> ever led, you know, I, I, had, I had my guy Jordan, uh, that's funny, Jordan. I had, I had an employee, Jordan, tell me one time, he said, look, you know what I loved about you, Anthony, when you were, when you were leading me over the last 18 months at the previous job? I said, what's that? He said, you just tried. You didn't always succeed. You didn't always, you know, you didn't always mm-hmm. deliver on everything you said you were going to deliver on, but you made the attempt. You went to Donnie and the CEO and you said, look, mm-hmm. here's what Jordan needs. What can we do to cultivate this experience? <clears throat> you attempted. You, 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 you didn't always come up where, where, we, where we agreed upon. But you at least made the effort. And that's all right. that's more than I can say about any other yeah. business that I've ever worked for. And I thank you for that. And and go ahead. Yeah. No, no, that, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, I was gonna chime into that because um I, I think that is one of the plagues that we have in the workplace right now is lazy leadership. 
And you can get to a place of being a lazy leader from a, from a lot of different avenues, but a lot of times it just comes from being beaten down and not listen to yourself. And so you stop putting ideas out there and you stop overachieving and you stop uh, trying to excel because you're not getting that recognition that you deserve maybe earlier in your career. Uh, that can happen. The other thing is that you just overwhelm. And so you go into this kind of self-preservation mode, which is what's the bare minimum that I can do so I can maintain my sanity and I can get my job done. And maybe I don't have time to do anything else. I mean, that's probably one of the things I hear the most from leaders is I don't have time to coach my people. I don't have time to develop my people. Um, I'm sorry, as a leader, that's your number one job. Your number one job is leading and developing your people. That is, that is why you are a leader. If, if you're not into that, if, if, you, if you're not about helping others be successful, you don't belong in a leadership position. I'm sorry. Yeah, and that's just as plainly as I can put it. Your number one job as a leader is to help other people be successful. And if you do that and you do it well, then you will, by proxy, help the organization do better. Because a, a group of people that are all performing at their max are going to provide max returns for that organization. So going, going back to that concept of, of kind of like the laziness around it and just trying. I had that same conversation with one of my employees recently. Um, and and, I'll, and I'll, I'll keep this short, but just a recent story uh, after kind of a long battle over something that, that involved some higher ups, she said to me, I really appreciate you doing that, but I just don't feel like you should have to. I, I feel like, you know, you're just like raking yourself over the coals, trying to find one way after another, after another to make something work. And maybe we should just give up on it. And, and I told her, I said, that's my job, though. My job as a leader is to help you be successful. And if one thing doesn't work, we're going to try another thing. And if that thing doesn't work, we're going to try another thing until we've exhausted all the things. And that's going to take us a while. You know, as a leader, I see one of my main responsibilities being how do I remove roadblocks and, and obstacles out of my people's ways so that they can do their best work. And, and we're going to keep trying things. And I will keep putting that pressure on myself until we get to a place where we hey, feel Jordan, good about it. You just raised a, a couple good points here. So let's let's get real businessy for a second. Let's let's get real operational, right? Because so so one thing that I've been one thing that my leader has always said about me and, and again as I'm trying to build out this this E1B2 brands and like try to jump into the world of entrepreneurship, I kind of look at myself as a hybrid. I I kind of look at myself as a person that is definitely willing to have these high level emotional conversations like we're having now. And then, I, and then I can take these perspectives and, and very much operationalize it inside of your business so the day-to-day -day is realistic. So, you know, one conversation that I've had with mm -hmm. someone that said to me, look, I don't have time to do some of these more emotional leadership type things and guide people in the right way, i.e. career mapping, i.e. focus on learning mm -hmm. and development, i.e. have those one-on-one -on -one emotional conversations to understand where someone wants to go and position them in the right light. I don't have time to do those things because I'm so bogged down with payroll or I'm so bogged down with mm -hmm. other administrative mm -hmm. tasks for my leadership position that I have within this company. And what I told that person was, look, mm -hmm. let me talk to your CEO and let's have a conversation about like how much cash is in the system, right? Like, like, like how big and robust do we need to make this team where we can start to build out a unit of people that just focus on some of the tasks that you have and take them off of your plate that are behind the scenes. Because a leader, mm -hmm. what you just said, doing a leader is someone that is diving into people, right? A leader 
is someone that is developing learning and development yeah. tools and processes. A leader is someone that is helping guide them through that process. A leader is having those one-on-one conversations and career mapping and, and doing all those things at a soft level that is important and key, right? You can build out a robust team if you are willing to jump into operations and figure out where the cash needs to go, figure out how to reverse engineer a few things. Um, I could go on about this for a long time, but so give me your thoughts on like, if you're yeah. talking to a CEO and he's having a very, like you guys are having a pure business conversation, what advice would you give them on, Mm-hmm. on operationally organizing and structuring the leadership team to make it so that that excuse of, look, I don't have time is no longer a conversation. Yeah. If, if you're in any kind of leadership position and you're either saying or hearing, I don't have time for my people, <clears throat> then uh, I would challenge you to do three things. Number one, uh, let's sit down and let's look at the, the tasks and the work that you're doing and eliminate anything that doesn't belong with you. Um, so a lot of times leaders pick up things that they just start doing or they're, they're gifted to them over time that really doesn't belong with them. There's no, there's no need for them to do it. There's someone better equipped to do it. Or it's just something that like, it's a carryover from the legacy way of how we used to do things. And we don't need to do it that way anymore. And so if we can eliminate things off our plate, that's the easiest way to reduce the amount of work that we have going on. The second thing is to simplify. So of those things that remain, those tasks that we've determined are essential and that we do need to perform, how can we simplify those processes? And that takes a little bit of innovation and creativity. Do we have to do them the same way that we have been doing them? Is there a better way? And sometimes that takes somebody from the outside coming in and from bringing a different perspective to say, hey, have you considered this? Uh, A lot of times leaders are doing things the best way that they know how to do them because they don't know any other way to do them. And so that may take a a second perspective to say, hey, have you considered switching this up? Um, Example, we got a lot of organizations that are still using paper uh, personnel files. Uh, Look, it's 2020. You don't have to do that anymore. We can find a better way, right? So anything in your organization that's relying heavily on paper, let's see if we can move that to some sort of system. And I know that a lot of people will say, well, we may not have the money for that or we don't have the budget or the resources right now. Uh, And that may be the case. But there are solutions ranging from free to very expensive. So find something in the middle that's going to work well for you. Uh, So, again, second step is simplify. And then the third step for a leader who says, I don't have enough time, is to delegate. Um, I've eliminated what I don't need to do. I've simplified the stuff that I do need to do. The next step is what can I delegate from this list out to other people? Um, and delegation is not, <laughs> I heard a joke when I was earlier in my career that was uh, the, the three D's of management is decide, delegate, and disappear. It's, it's like, um, I'm going to decide I don't want to yeah, do this. Right. I'm going to give it to you and then I'm going to get out of here. Um, but to, to some extent, you know, it's a joke, but to some extent that is true. Uh, as a leader, what can I delegate to somebody else so that it can free me up to do the more high impact activities that only I as a leader can do? So uh, when it comes to things like uh, <clears throat> pulling reports or, uh, you know, tracking time or, or things like that, is there somebody else on your team that you can delegate those more manual technical uh, laborious processes to that will one free up your schedule, but two can be a developmental opportunity for that person to help prepare them 
for a, a higher responsibility role or a future leadership role, something like that. And that way it's, it's, it's working in two, two regards. It's helping free you up and it's also helping to develop that individual. And I think as leaders, if we can go through that process, eliminate, simplify and delegate, then we will find time in our day that we didn't know we had before. And I truly believe that everybody can do that. Even if you already feel like you have, uh, you, you have streamlined your day as much as possible, I believe you can take a second look and you can still find things to, to put through those filters to free up a little bit more time. And honestly, that's all it takes is just a little bit more time each day that I can invest back into my team. And if you do that often enough, Ultimately, the number of things that you can delegate is going to increase and the number of ideas that you receive from them to simplify existing processes is going to increase, which is going to continue to eliminate the excess work. So, again, it's all kind of a, a self-feeding, self-fulfilling cycle. And to if add on to that, right. any CEO, any leader that's listening to this podcast, if you often say, because I want to jump back to something you said, if you often say, well, we just don't have the capacity financially to pull these things off. And that is the excuse you want to go with Then I would push you to say, okay, we need to go to the branding, the marketing, the product division. We need to figure out what we need to do from a business perspective to generate more revenue. And then when mm -hmm. we're building out the, the forecast of what we're going to allocate that those monies for next year, you make sure learning and development has a slot. You make sure employee experience has a slot. You make sure you're dumping some of that additional revenue into these areas. So that can no longer be, an excuse. Um, I said that to a founder recently. He was mm. like, well, we just don't have the money for this. I was like, okay, <clears throat> that's fine. I'll meet you there. Then what we're going to do now is we're going to go into the marketing division. We're going to look into branding. Let's get more cash in the system, right? And mm. then let's forecast this cash and direct it where it needs to be directed to, not just have it go to where it normally goes. Let's have it go to a new box. Let's have it go to a new bucket um, so that you can no longer have that excuse. Uh, yeah, well, and, and that's exactly what it is, Anthony, is an excuse. And, yep. you know, it's hard to tell leaders that sometimes. But let's, let's go back to that conversation for a second of I don't have I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't have the, the budget, you know, et cetera, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Let me reframe that for you. What you're really saying when you say I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't have the budget. What you're really saying yep. is that's not a priority to me right now. Right. That's what you're saying. So let's let's fill in the blank a little bit. When you say I don't have the budget to develop my people, what you're saying is developing my people is not a priority right now. When you say I don't have the time to develop my people, what you're saying is making time to develop my people is not a priority right now. And when you reframe it in that way and you say those words out loud, it's easy to get convicted. It's, it's easy to say wow, okay, I, I didn't realize that my priorities are out of line or my priorities are out of whack. Um, I've got a, another friend, a fellow consultant, um, and she says that, you know, it's okay to be an asshole leader, but you got to be ready to pay the asshole tax. Yep. And that's, that's kind of what I'm saying with this is it's, oh, it's okay to say my people are not a priority right now, but be ready for the implications of that. It's okay to say that developing my people is not a priority right now. I understand that that may not be the case for your organization right now, but just be prepared for the implications of that. And you've got to plan for that as a leader. So when you say, 
I don't have time to take care of, or you know, I don't have the resources or time or whatever to take care of my people. What you're really saying is I better plan extra money in the budget to hire new ones and, and to train up those new ones and to scout and recruit those new ones. And I better be ready to, you know, pay any kind of severance pay or bonuses or anything yep. like that. If this is the way I'm going to continue operating. And when you frame it that way, you realize that, you know, your lack of effort in putting money in, 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 in one budget just means you've got to bulk up another budget somewhere else. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of like this complex system of levers of shifting around the money to where you want it to be. Let's just do this. Let's decide as an organization, what is the priority for this organization? And let's make sure that we align our business decisions and how we spend our money around those things. And if people is not somewhere within the top five priorities of your organization, just know that and, you're going to you be know paying what for that in other ways. Say, right? I think, and, and this is a consistent um, thing. This is nothing new. There are blogs. There are, there, there are talks that are just around this. But something I genuinely believe in, right, which is, you know, people leader, you know, HR generalist, you know, HR director, you know, CHRO. Like, why are you talking to me? about branding, about marketing, about cash infusion? Why are you talking to me about the, our finances and where things are going? Why are you even putting yourself in this conversation? You focus on your bucket over there and let the business people handle the business. You know that's a real thing that's happening in America today in these organizations. Um, mm -hmm. And so I guess one of the final questions here, I'm looking at the time, I don't want to hold you too much longer. What would you, uh, what would you say to a leader that has been told that, right? Because with me, again, the last two roles and forever, right? I'm going to try this entrepreneurship thing, but at some point, if it doesn't work, no problem getting a job. Um, I am going to go into the company like I did the, with my last two previous jobs and say, again, like I need to be in these conversations because I know what I'm talking about. Like like I, I am prepared to have these thoughtful mm -hmm. conversations. So I think we can all give the advice to the HR leader that may be listening to this podcast that, look, if you aren't competent enough, because there are some that are not competent enough to have those conversations. They haven't either A, tried to start their own business or B, they haven't volunteered to shadow in these departments for a few weeks to learn the ins and outs and the terminology and the perspectives. So if you haven't done those things, you should probably start to actually know what you're talking about. If you're going to jump off that ledge and try to have these authentic business conversations. But on the other mm -hmm. side of the spectrum, right, the COO, mm -hmm. the CEO, the CTO, what do you say to those people that are trying to push down the HR leader and say, you don't even need to be having these conversations? What do you say to them to try to change their perspective? What's the most important asset? Our product. In this business. What they say that. Right. And <laughs> our, our product. Okay. So, so they say. Our, our, our product is the most important asset. Okay, great. What's it going to take for us to have the best product, right? You know, and eventually you can, you can follow down that path of questioning. But ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, everything comes back to the people. Whether it's the product that we're putting out, it's the, you know, having the nicest, the nicest amenities, the nicest building, the nicest operating space. It's having a, you know, a really nice um, balance sheet that's showing every, all the numbers in the black, all of that ultimately at the end of the day is impossible without the people. You can, you can sacrifice the people experience and you can sacrifice 
um, you know, what, what you pay them and you can, you can undercut the pay and all that kind of stuff. And you can find people that will just do the job and, and put their heads down and come to work and, and go home. But ultimately that's all feeding back into the product that you're creating. And so you've got to, you've, you can either allow your culture and your employee experience to be intentional and mindful and thoughtful and, and centered around the, the, the areas of excellence that you want to promote, or you can allow it to happen haphazardly, chaotically, and leave things up to chance, right? So let's, let's not play this me versus you. You stay in your corner. I'll stay in my corner. That's, that's a super old school way of thinking about things. Let's recognize that in order for this business to be successful, we need to understand each other. And that goes for the HR professionals, too. I mean, you alluded to this, but as HR professionals, as people, development experts, we yep. need to understand the challenges of the business. And we need, to, we need to know that when we're recommending a solution, we're recommending it in a way that speaks to the problems and the challenges and the issues in the business instead of speaking to it from the, well, this is the right thing to do. No, no, no. Let's talk about how does this help the business uh, eliminate and solve some of the problems that are out there? But in return, as those chief executives uh, yep. or, or maybe the head of finance or the head of operations or whatever, it's critical that you understand the people side of it. And that may not be your specialty. That may not be your area of expertise. Maybe you're more of a numbers person. That's where it's really critical that you find a, uh, an intelligent uh, sharp, driven, motivated uh, HR professional that can be that business partner to you to help you in the areas that you're deficient in. Because without that, uh, it's not to say that your business can't be successful, but man, how much more successful could it be? Perfect. I think, we it's, I think it's a perfect time to, to leave it there. Um, this was, look, this was a, I had a lot of questions here. We kind of went off in another direction. I actually appreciate it. I don't know how you felt about it. Um, I enjoyed it. I loved it, man. I'm having a good time. So uh, it was all good. I appreciate it. Hey, you've been, uh, you've been fun to chat that. with. You're a great what, interview. What can you so leave thank us you. with at a high level? Any high level thoughts and perspectives? I know learning and development is very much in your wheelhouse. Um, any, any tips, tools, nuances at a high level that you just want to kind of talk to people about from a learning and development standpoint? And then, and then let us know where people can find uh, your content, read about you, and uh, reach out to you for speaking opportunities. Yeah, you know, I've talked a lot, so I'll just leave it here. Um, this is not my quote, but, you know, some of you may have heard this before, and I think it's, it's just the best way to sum all this up. The culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior the leader is willing to tolerate. So if you're a leader out there, ask yourself, what's the worst uh, behavior that I'm willing to tolerate? And progressively over time, step that up, make it, make it just a little bit better every day. If we can just get 1% better every single day, then by the end of the year, we're 300% better than we were a year ago. So it's just those little incremental steps to help shape the culture day by day, to help shape the learning environment day by day, to help shape the employee experience day by day. And it's doing those little things consistently that is going to help move us forward. Don't fall into the belief that you have to have tons of money and make radical change to get your organization where you want it to be. Understand that all it takes is small steps every single day to get to where you want to be. And doing that consistently 
and doing that uh, with, with passion and purpose behind the work that you do. Uh, that said, Anthony, it's been great being here. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to be on and to, to plug some of my stuff. The easiest way people can find me is uh, askjordangeorge.com. That's my website, Ask Jordan George. I'm also uh, at that same URL on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Ask Jordan George. It's the easiest way to get in touch with me, or you can email me, askjordangeorge at gmail.com. Uh, I love connecting with people. I really do. I, I get passionate about this stuff, uh, as you can probably tell from this podcast. Um, and I just love talking about it. I, I'm like a sponge and eating this stuff up. So um, whether you, you want to connect um, about a speaking engagement or working together, that's great. But even if you just want to connect to chat and share ideas and, um, you know, maybe have a virtual coffee or something Appreciate like that. Appreciate that, Jordan. I'm, I'm this was perfect. And well. uh, I thank you for coming on today. We'll talk soon. Absolutely, Anthony. Happy to be here. Thank you.